The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We're going to talk about hidden treasures this morning, hidden treasures. So let me pray and then we'll look at God's Word together. Father, as we open up the Word now, we have rejoiced in song. We're so grateful, Father. So grateful to be able to come into your presence and say we're free and to, to talk about your grace and to sing of it and to see that our Savior's alive. So this morning, would you teach us in the name of Jesus? Amen. For We lived in our old neighborhood for 26 years. We moved out of there about six years ago. But for all those years, we had a neighborhood Easter egg hunt. And so a couple of weeks before Easter, some of the moms, usually one or two of the moms would get together, and we had literally hundreds of plastic eggs. And so all these plastic eggs would be taken apart. They'd be filled either with candy, with coins, some with $1 bills, and one with a $10 bill. And so all the, all the kids on, on Easter afternoon, we'd gather together in one of the homes, and uh, usually it was our house, and the eggs would be spread out by the adults in several yards. And then when the signal was given, the front door would open, and if you stood near that front door, you'd get trampled by a bunch of three, four, five, six-year-olds. I mean, they just made their way out of that house as quickly as they possibly could. And they, they would scurry, they would bolt, they'd run furiously from yard to yard to yard to yard, picking up as many eggs as possible. And then they gathered one place and they began opening their eggs. And as they open an egg, they go, ah, look what I've got. Or yes. And then the one who would have the $10 bill, especially, go, aha. And then four or five would melt down because they didn't get what they wanted. <laughs> You've had those Easter egg hunts, haven't you? And so the, the, the kids, though, would just scream as they opened up just a little piece of candy, opened up that egg and just a little piece of candy, and they would scream and squeal in delight. And then if they got a $1 bill or the one that got the $10 bill, I mean, I can still hear them in my ears right now as they screamed out in delight. These little hidden treasures inside those eggs. Then the eggs would get stored in the attic for the next uh, year and not come out until then. Well, let me tell you something even greater. Those, those kids would open up those eggs and find those hidden treasures. On the cross of Christ and the tomb of Christ, which are both empty, there's some hidden treasures. There's some treasures that we can go, ah, thank God. There's some treasures that we can pop open. And as we look at those, we recognize that even though the cross is empty and the tomb is empty in reality, they were filled with a number of things. And I'll talk about four of those things today just to walk you, four, walk you through four things, and there are many others, but I'm just gonna choose four things that we look at this morning. So if you have your devices, your Bibles, or I'll have all the points up in front of you on the outline this morning or on the screens this morning, we're gonna begin in Hebrews chapter 10 if you wanna look there. But the tomb of Christ was empty that first Easter. The cross of Christ was empty that first Easter, but really they were filled with treasures. And if kids got excited over some candy and some coins and a few dollar bills, I, I would submit to you that we should be excited and we should walk out of this saying, Thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done and the hidden treasures you've given to us for every day. So let's look at these hidden treasures. Hidden treasure number one comes from the empty cross. We now have access to the Father. It's the treasure of access to the Father. You say, Pastor Gary, what are you talking about? Well, I want to remind you that one of the strange things that happened is, has to do with the veil in, temple, in the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem was the center of life of Israel. It was a religious center, it was a social center, it was the economic center. Everything that was important took place in the temple in Jerusalem. And inside the temple is where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt in the holiest place, the holy of holies. And there was one high priest that was selected one time a year to enter into the very presence of God. He entered on what is known as the Day of Atonement. 
Day in Hebrew is Yom. Atonement is Kippur. You've heard that before, Yom Kippur. So on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, one high priest selected to represent the entire nation would go into the Holy of Holies. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that the, the high priests were, knew that if they were defiled in any way when they entered the Holy of Holies, they would be stricken dead in the presence of God. And so they had bells that were attached to the, the fringes of their, of their robes, and they also had a rope tied around their leg. So if they died in the Holy of Holies, no one could go in. They would pull them out when the bells quit ringing. The very presence of God, his holiness inside the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. That same mark Indiana Jones has been looking for for all these decades. It was in the Holy of Holies. Separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the worship place of the temple was the veil. And in Matthew 27, when Christ breathed his last, it said, at the time of his death, if we looked at verse 50, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two, top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Now, the veil is an interesting thing. The veil, if we look at 1 Kings chapter 6, it tells us the sides of the veil and then Herod remodeled the temple after the original temple fell and was destroyed. And so this is an artist's rendering of what it must have looked like on that particular day. But the veil itself, if we do the measure, it's so many cubits from top to bottom or the length of the veil from top to bottom was 60 feet. So this is maybe 35 feet, 40 feet, maybe. So it's another third higher than this. So we're talking about a massive veil. We also read from Josephus the historian that it was about four inches thick by the time of Christ. There were curtains that were hung next to curtains after curtains. They began to deteriorate, they would just add more. I was telling my grandkids that last night. I said, guys, this was 60 feet tall, four inches thick. Imagine how heavy it was. And one of them said, as heavy as you, Papa Doe? <laughs> well, not quite that heavy probably, but. But that's the reality. I mean, it was massive. And if we look at the scriptures, it was torn how? From top to bottom. Why? Because man would tear it from bottom to top, right? But God was the one who would tear it from top to bottom. And so it shows that when Christ breathed his last breath, the veil of the temple was torn. Not only that, the rocks were split. They were torn in half as well. And what we see is that now provides us with access to the Father. In Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews says, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ, we can enter this holy place and have access to it because of the blood of Christ that was spilled on the cross. This new and living way that he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. You see, everything in the temple was a picture of Jesus. It pointed to Jesus. Veil, he says, it says here, was his flesh. And so when his flesh was torn, the veil was torn. And when the veil was torn, now you don't have to be the high priest selected on that one day to enter the presence of God. You could be male, you could be female, you could be of any race, you could be of any gender, you could be of any nationality, you could be of any background, it didn't matter. Poor, rich, educated, uneducated, didn't matter the color of your skin, didn't matter where you're from. If Christ was your savior, you now had access through the blood of Christ to the very presence of God. Amazing. What was limited to one man once a year is now freely accessible to all of us at all times. Let me put it to you this way. When the depression is deepening, you can enter into the holy place. When the divorce is pending, you can go to the holy place. When the kids are struggling, you can go to the holy place. 
when the job is demanding, you go to the holy place. When the, when, when, when the disease is spreading, you go to the holy place. How many of you have ever been into the Oval Office? Anybody in here? Last hour we had two people that had been into the Oval Office. Pretty amazing. I think they got arrested when they came out, but <laughs> they at least made it in. I mean, how do you get into the Oval Office? Well, you got to be invited by the president, right? I mean, either you work on a staff or you're part of the Secret Service or, or, or you're invited in or maybe you're an ambassador and you get invited, but you got to be invited in. And, and not many people get there, but you also get in if you're related to the president. In the 1960s, there's an iconic picture when John F. Kennedy was the president of the United States and uh, it just so happened there was a photographer in the Oval Office when the front panel of the presidential desk popped out and he snapped this picture just in time. You know who the young guy is? So you say, no, I wasn't born back then, right? So it's actually John, John Kennedy, his son. Who has access to the Oval Office? The son of the president. Who has access to the king of kings? The son of the king, the daughter of the king. You do if you know him as savior. It's one thing to be invited in the Oval Office, but let me tell you something even greater. To have access to the throne room of the king of heaven. That's a tremendous thing. And Hebrews says that the author, that, the, that, that Jesus, the one who has shed his blood for us, has rent the veil, and now we can enter into the presence of the Father. And so it's not just one man, one time you're selected from the entire nation, but it's you and me entering into the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords. The veil has been rent. You have access into the throne room of the King of kings, so you don't have to carry burdens with you. When our daughter was little, we took a vacation. I can't remember exactly where it was. I remember the scenario. I can't remember if we're next to a creek, a river, a bayou, or somewhere next to water. And there was, a, we, we were throwing, you know how you skip stones? And so we're skipping stones, and Sarah decided she wanted to grab this big old rock. Well, Sarah was our independent one, and so I reached over to help her, and she looked at me and said, I'll do it myself. My two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, whatever she was, I'll do it myself. So I just backed away. Of course, she's reaching down there, ah, nothing's moving. And I look at her and said, Sarah, if you ask daddy, I'll help you. I'll do it myself. Sarah, <laughs> ah, if you ask daddy, I'll help you. That rock is still sitting on the shore right now. <laughs> she never asked her daddy. She is one strong-willed woman. Why are you carrying a burden? when you can go into the very throne room of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because you have access through the blood of Christ to release that burden before him. All you have to do is ask. The first hidden treasure we see is the treasure of access to the Father. The second is the forgiveness of sin. I could take you to any number of scriptures uh, throughout the, the Bible that shows us that we can have forgiveness of sin through the power of the resurrection. I'm going to take you to Colossians chapter 2. So if you want to look at it, you can turn there, Colossians chapter 2. I'll also have it up here. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and he says, when you were dead, let's stop right there. Dead, when you are dead, you have no life. When you're dead, you have no hope. When you are dead, you can't do anything. You are dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He said, you are dead in your sins. He, 
How'd you come alive? He made you alive. This is the great work of God with him, with Jesus. How? By forgiving you all of your transgressions. So he says, you were dead. You couldn't do anything. But God, by his grace, he gave you life. He gave you new life. He made you alive with him. He forgave all your transgressions. He canceled out the certificate of debt that consisted of decrees against us. What does that mean? He canceled out the certificate of debt. What's the certificate of debt? Well, it comes out of both the business world and the legal world. It comes out of the business world and the legal world, the particular word that's used there. It comes out of the business world first, or either one, but I'll talk about the business world first. It comes out of the business world. If you went to a merchant and you went to buy something and you had to, you had to do it over time, you didn't have a credit card then and you didn't have a bank loan. So what you did is you brought your certificate of debt or he gave you a certificate of debt. And on that was a list of what you owed him. And every time you would go back to pay on that, he would begin to scratch it out and reduce the amount. As you paid whatever it was, then the amount would be reduced until you paid your debt off. And then when you paid your debt off, he would write something on it. Oftentimes, the word that would be written when that certificate of debt was paid was the Greek word tetelestai. Remember that for a second, tetelestai, the debt has been paid. It also comes out of the legal world. In that day and age, if you're a criminal and you had to do time, that there were two ways that your time would be recorded to make sure that you paid your debt to society. Either a judge would keep the certificate of debt. It showed the days that you were responsible to pay to society when you're in prison. Sometimes it remained in the judge's stead. Sometimes it was actually hung or, or, stay, or, or nailed to the, the cell of the people in it, and you'd have days, weeks, months scratched out. And then when the time was over, there were a number of words that could be written there, but one of the words that was written there was the same Greek word, tetelestai, the debt's been paid. When Jesus was on the cross, he spoke seven times. Seven different times he spoke. One time, he said this, it's finished. It's finished. You know what that means? The debt has been paid. You know the word Jesus used? When he was on that cross, you can tell me, what was it? To tell us die. When Jesus on that cross, it's one Greek word, to tell us die. The debt has been paid in full. And you know what? You had a certificate of debt and I had a certificate of debt. Look at what he says here. He canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. These are things that we have done. This is our sin. And so we had this ledger with all of our sins on it. And when we accepted Christ as our Savior for the goodness of our sins, look at what he did. He nailed it to the cross. He took this stuff out of the way. And so next time Satan reminds you of your sin, you just say, to Talestai. It's paid, buddy. By the way, next time he reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. We know where he's gone. But next time he does that, you say, it, it, it's forgiven. This is done. It, it's taken care of. To tell us die. The first great treasure that we see on that empty cross is a treasure of access to the Father. The second one is the forgiveness of sins. By the way, let me give you four words related to forgiveness. Things that we should do. By the way, the end of Colossians says, he disarmed the rules and authorities, made a public display of them. Four words in forgiveness. Number one, receive forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. For some of you, it means trusting Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins for the first time this Easter. One of your friends or family members dragged you here. 
and you may be hearing this message for the first time, or maybe you've heard this message a hundred times, but your heart is beating out of your chest right now. And you're saying, that big bald guy up front has not taken his one good eye off of me the whole time he's been up there. (laughs) But it's really the Spirit of God convicting you right now. Because you're not sure if Christ is your Savior. And I invite you this Easter to make sure of that. To receive the forgiveness that's offered to you by asking him for the forgiveness of your sins. So that the certificate of debt can be canceled against you. In New York City, there is a tombstone. It's one of my favorites. If you've been here, you've seen it before. It's a tombstone that has no name on it, has no dates on it. It has one word on it. This is what that tombstone says, forgiven. That's a great tombstone. Let me ask you this question this morning. If you breathed your last this week, could that be your tombstone? Have you received the forgiveness that comes only in Christ? Secondly, not only do we receive extendness, we receive forgiveness, we extend forgiveness to those who hurt us. We extend forgiveness to those who hurt us. And so we say, Pastor Gary, you have no idea how badly I've been hurt. I don't know that. But I can tell you the scriptures say that we are to forgive and forgive and forgive. In fact, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4 says we are to forgive as we've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. That means we forgive over and over and over again. Peter said, Lord, do I forgive seven times? And Jesus said, no, you forgive how many times? 70 times seven. Peter, you, you keep tally, 490 times you're done. Is that what that means? No. You forgive and you forgive and you forgive and you forgive because you've been forgiven so much. How can you not forgive somebody who does so little against you? Not only do you extend forgiveness, you seek forgiveness from those you've hurt. For some of us, we need to go back to somebody else and say, hey, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? The words I'm sorry are really difficult. Would you forgive me are really difficult to a lot of people. I'm sorry. If they're not too hard, why don't you say it with me? I'm sorry. You say those words again? I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's not that hard, is it? For some, it's the first time you've uttered those words in a long, long, long time. And finally, we walk in forgiveness. We don't bury the hatchet and keep the map. We don't bury the hatchet and keep the, 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 the handle sticking out of the ground. But if we know Christ and walk with Christ, we walk in forgiveness all the days of our life. The first treasure is the treasure of access to the Father. The second treasure is the forgiveness of sin. The third treasure is a treasure of eternal life. Eternal life that's given to us. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again with a living hope. A living hope. Say that with me. Living hope. Living hope. It's a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. You see, the world does not have a living hope. They have a hopeless hope or they have no hope. Because of what Christ has done for us, we have a living hope through what? The resurrection of Christ and the dead. The resurrection, that empty tomb, secures for us a hope that is living. The world that does not know Christ does not have a living hope. Steve Jobs, one of the most brilliant creative men that ever walked on our planet. If you've ever read his thick biography, autobiography or autobiography, it's a, anyway, I read it a couple of years ago, one or the other. I began to study some about his life and I ran across this quote by Steve Jobs. I always wonder what his spirituality was and here's what he says. He says, I'm about 50-50 on believing in God. For most of my life, I felt that there must be more to our existence than meets the eye. I'd like to think that something survives after you die. It's strange to think that you accumulate all this experience and maybe a little wisdom and then it just goes away. 
So I really want to believe something survives, that maybe our consciousness endures. But on the other hand, perhaps it's an on-off switch. Click, and you're gone. Maybe that's why I never like to put on-off switches on Apple devices. Click, you're gone, and it's over. Recognize this man? Who is he? Woody Allen. Great film rights, producer, director, avowed and strident atheist. If you read anything about Woody Allen, he's an insomniac. He doesn't want to sleep because he fears he's going to die. Three or four hours is a great night's sleep for Woody Allen. Reading about Woody Allen, I, I ran across this quote from him. He said, life is nothing more than a meaningless flicker. There's no God, there is no purpose, there's no life after life. Consequently, there's no life really in this life. I can't really come up with a good argument to choose life over death, except I'm too scared to die. I'm convinced all the trains go to the same place. We all wind up in the dump. Can you imagine how hopeless that is? I wouldn't sleep at night either. He looks at that and says, that's why I keep making movies, because I don't want to think about nothingness. And Peter says just the opposite. He says, we have a living hope, a living hope. And look at what this hope is. He says, we have this living hope. And he says, it's from the resurrection of Christ to obtain this inheritance that's imperishable. That means it can't be destroyed. It's undefiled. That means it can't be tainted and it's not going to fade away. That means it's secure and reserved in heaven for you. This is reserved in heaven for you. Your future in the presence of God is secured by God himself. In fact, the next verse there says this, you are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. He says, you've got this reserved for you in heaven. You ever lose a reservation? A number of years ago, Bev and I, we, were, we did an internship before our final year at Dallas Seminary. So this goes way back. We came to Temple in 1981, so this would have been the summer of 1980. Some of you say, man, you're old. I am. Some of you weren't even born yet, and you're thinking, man, gosh. So we had this reservation. It wasn't easy to make a reservation. There was no internet. There were no cell phones. You said, well, how'd you make a reservation without internet? Well, you actually had to find out where things were. You'd pick up this thing called a telephone, a landline. You had these things you had to do like this and to, to get the right numbers. And they had all these numbers there. And, and so we had this reservation. We were leaving Illinois. We we're going to stop in Branson, Missouri. We we're going to lower the average age in Branson by a lot. And so we were, gonna, we were young then, 25, 26. And then we we're going to come to Dallas the next day. We were really poor, and uh, so I needed two new tires to get back to Texas, and I couldn't afford two new tires, so I bought two retread tires, recap tires. Recap tires on the, in the summer, in a very hot summer on, uh, on an interstate, they don't go well. Somewhere in Missouri, actually a little town called Bourbon, Missouri, two tires popped, just popped. So now I've got two tires, I've got to pull in service station, uh, we we got to get two brand new tires. And so we're delayed by several hours. So I have a two-year-old and a pregnant wife. And we show up in Branson, Missouri at one o'clock in the morning. And so, I mean, the only way you get in, there's a doorbell on the outside of this motel. I press the doorbell. You wait for this young lady to come out. She sees this big guy standing at the door. Finally, she opens the door. And I said, ma'am, I'm Gary DeSalvo. I've got a reservation here. And she just starts shaking her head before she says a word. She said, sir, your reservation went away at midnight tonight. My hotel's filled. 
And I said, praise God from whom all blessings flow. <laughs> right. I said, ma'am, you see that car out there? That's a two-year-old sleeping in a car seat in the back seat. You see that woman out there? That's my wife. I can't go out there and tell my pregnant wife she doesn't have a place to sleep tonight. You know anything about the story of Joseph and Mary in the old time? <laughs> so, I mean, so we walk into the lobby, and I mean, it's not like picking up a phone and hitting some numbers real quick. We got to go. <laughs> motel after motel. No room. No room. No room. There was no room in the inn. Finally, she said, you know, I know this place. It's a little bit out of the way. It'll take you about 30 minutes to get there. It's the only thing I can imagine. It was a fishing camp. They had a cabin available. You stayed in five-star motels and four-star motels? You ever stayed in a minus three hotel? <laughs> if that was in town, it'd be condemned. You open the door, it bears you spider webs, cobwebs, and I say, praise God from whom all blood, right. I lost my reservation. You got a reservation that can't go away. Amen? It'll never go away. He guarantees your reservation forever. You are protected by the power of God. You have access to the Father. You have forgiveness of sin and you have eternal life. You don't have to worry about that reservation gone away ever more. Those are hidden treasures. Those kids in our, in our yard, in our neighborhood, they would squeal in delight when they opened those eggs, right? And now we should say, praise God. Look at what he's given us for all of eternity. Praise God, right? Can you say praise God once? There you go. Thank you. So he says, these things I've written you in order that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, not question, not wonder, but you can know you have it if Christ is your Savior. The final hidden treasure is the treasure of not fearing death. Not fearing death. This is important to a lot of us. Hey, when you're struggling with the disease, you're grateful you don't have to fear death. Peter had denied Christ. Peter had run with the other disciples. They were cowards. They had gone fishing. They had left Jerusalem, gone back to Galilee, and they're fishing, and, 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 and I mean, they're, they're just a bunch of cowards. They were scared to death, of death. But you know where Peter ends up just a couple of chapters later in the book of Acts? You see, when you see the resurrected lion of Judah, you're a changed man, and so Peter goes to the very precinct where Christ had been crucified. And he goes there and he begins to preach. It's, it's the day of Pentecost and in his preaching, this is one of the things he says, but God raised him up. Here's a hidden treasure of the resurrection. God raised him up. He put an end to the agony of death. We don't have to fear death anymore. The agony of death is gone. One of the songs we sang said this, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The, the, death, the sting of death is sin, but the power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we recognize we have a certain victory because of him. And because of the resurrection, we don't need to fear death. Because of the resurrection, we're alive. There are treasures for us to open when we look into the empty tomb. Treasures we can enjoy when we see the empty cross. The treasure of access to the Father. The treasure of forgiveness of sin. The treasure of eternal life. The treasure of not fearing death itself. Death is defeated. Oh, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? You've lost it all. So let me ask you this morning. Have you opened the treasures that are found in the empty tomb? 
Have you personally opened those treasures? When those kids would squeal because they found a treasure. This morning, I hope you find a treasure. Treasure of access to the Father. Treasure forgiveness of sin. The treasure of eternal life. The treasure of never having to fear death itself. One of my good friends, Dan Bolin, Dan is, was the director of Pine. We were classmates at Dallas Seminary. We played basketball together for four years. We were really bad. In fact, we named our team the Edifiers because we edified everybody else by letting them beat us. <laughs> we were the Edifiers for four years. We were really bad. And uh, he, he sent out a newsletter. He has a ministry, ran Pine Co. for a number of years, has an independent ministry now. And I received it last week, and he and his wife Kay had just celebrated their 40th wedding anniversary. And he said, uh, we went to a really nice restaurant. It lives in the D.C. area now. It was a fancy dinner. There's wait staff and elegant dresses. The gentlemen were in tuxedos. There were candles on the table. There was a long menu with unpronounceable appetizers. And the entrees were things that I didn't understand. And, of course, there was the ever-intimidating white tablecloths. He said, we ate the appetizers and they were some of the most delicious things I had. The bread just melted in your mouth and the salad was unlike any I'd ever had. I think I enjoyed it way too much because when the waiter came to remove my plates, I had spilled some things. And he came with his little crumb scraper. You've been in restaurants like that? They come to scrape, you know, the crumbs out of the way. If you come to my house, I'm not going to do that for you. But they come and you've got this white tablecloth. And he said, when they lifted the plates, there were a couple of stains that his crumb scraper could not remove because I'd spilled salad dressing on the white tablecloth. So I was a little embarrassed. The guy could see it and he said, don't worry, Mr. Boland, this happens all the time. And I nodded sheepishly. And then my friend writes these words. He took a white cloth napkin after the plates were gone and he had tried to scrape things away and he smoothed it out over the stains and he covered them up and everything was white again. And he writes this, covering spiritual stains and messes was the rule for thousands of years till Jesus came. And now Jesus doesn't just cover the stains, washes them away. And we say, praise God. He takes those sins and he washes them away. And we pick up the napkin and they're gone. The certificate of debt has been canceled because he triumphed over the ruler of this world. And now we have access to the Father. We have forgiveness of sins. We have the guarantee of eternal life. And we don't have to fear death. What a way to celebrate Easter. So this morning as we conclude, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for you to make sure that Christ is your Savior right where you are. I'll be down here. Maybe, maybe you just want to come and thank him for access, that you can come to him and you can drop off those burdens that you've been carrying. Or maybe you just need to thank him for eternal life. Or maybe you're scared to death of death. Scared to death of death. And you've realized today, I don't have to fear that anymore. And if you want to pray, I'd be glad to pray with you. These elders and wives would be glad to pray with you. And uh, we're going to sing. We're singing. If you want to be prayed over or just want to come get your knees and pray, you can do that. If you don't want to get up, you can pray right where you are. It doesn't matter. But we'd love to bless you and pray for you on this day. Father, thank you 
Thank you for these hidden treasures that you've allowed us to mine out and see. And on this day, we thank you for access into your presence, for the forgiveness of sins, for eternal life, and for lifting the fear of death.